What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Opening the Vault. I'm one of your hosts, Ben, and I am joined today by Ryan. Ryan, how is it going? Uh, well, this week was a little stressful. Started a new job, but I'm getting the hang of it. Oh, nice. Congratulations on the new job. Thank you. And, of course, I am joined by Sam. Sam, how are things? I'm good. I am still looking for a job, um, but I am working as an archaeologist right now. Which is very exciting. My first paid gig. Nice. Yay. And what we have to do for you, Ben, though, is we have an announcement uh, that is, this is a very special episode because, Ryan, do you want to take it away? It's Ben's day! Happy birthday! Oh, thank you, guys. Yay! <laughs> do you want us to sing? No, I'm good. Okay. Especially because that's, uh, I'm pretty sure that's still copyrighted by Disney. Oh, <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Disney podcast. Well, I know that Happy Birthday was once owned by Disney. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I had a great birthday this week. Um, got to spend some time with my family, and uh, that was really nice. Obviously, because of Omicron, I wasn't able to go with my friends, but spent a really nice evening with my parents. Um, I got them to play some Switch, so we played some Mario, and that was hilarious. Um, yeah, just overall a very good day. Uh, so, thank you. Yeah. Getting old, I feel. How old did you turn? 33. That is old. so young. That is not even funny. Oh, I feel old. My body feels old now. All the all the pains that come with getting older. I don't know. People say your 30s are your new 20s. So. It's true. Yes. But, uh, like, financially, they're your 20s, I think. But uh, <laughs> yeah. we have a lot of friends who have turned 30 in the past couple years. And they said, like... Oh yeah, I, I had a great party for my thirtieth, and then I woke up the next day feeling with the worst hangover ever, and then I like hurt my back sleeping. Yep. Oh. Yep. And but the hangovers last better couple better days. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, the hangovers now last a couple days, and it can get rough. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! My hangover is already due, and I'm a I'm in my twenties. Oh, oh God. you got some uh, <gasps> pain coming when you turn thirty. <laughs> I should just sober up. Um, aren't Aren't, uh, okay, I don't want to be like, aren't most Asian people allergic to most alcohols that are consumed? Um. They have a mild allergy and that's why their hangovers are worse? I do not know that for sure, but I do know that Asians, a lot of them, including myself, we get the Asian glow, which is like mm -hmm. our mm. cheeks and our face turn extremely red. And I get mm. that. So that's not like an allergic reaction or anything? It's just a glow? Ah. <sighs> I'm not entirely sure. I think it has something to do with like the way our skin is and then the blood vessels in our face and how just, you can see them more. Hmm. Yeah. I bet Jen would know. Cause she's, so Jen is our coworker and she does, is also an anthropology student and she does a lot of research into allergies. So maybe she'll know. Cool. Awesome. I'm just a lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't physically drink so I think I'm the lightest weight on this podcast <laughs> probably if that's the case so this week we watched The Jungle Book one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid um, it was originally released October 18th 1967 and this was Disney's last animated movie that he oversaw before his unfortunate death in 1966 um 
it's, it's a funny fact about that is that I mean, when the day he died, they every the entire company took the day off, and then the next day they just jumped right back into it. It was nice that they had observed that day, but they knew they had so much work to do that they just jumped right back into the animation and the music and all that. So they really want to get this out and make it great for him. Um, this movie had a budget of four million dollars and a box office as of right now at three hundred and seventy eight million dollars um so in all accounts it was a very big success uh for the company including getting uh an oscar nomination uh for the music itself and funny fact about the music is that it like the script was initially too dark and disney said no we need to bring some levity to this and make it fun uh of course so they oh, yeah. Uh, brought in a new songwriter, but funnily enough, the one song that transferred from the old songwriter to the new one, so from uh, the Sherman Brothers uh, were brought in to do the new uh, soundtrack instead of uh, Terry Gilkson or Gilkson? I think Gilkson. Uh, the only uh, song that got to stay in it was uh, Terry Gillick's song, The Bare Necessities, which is the one that got nominated for the Oscar. Uh, so I thought that I was kind like of funny. I think that was my favorite in the movie. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's great. I, I I know exactly, like, when we come to the uh, ranking, I know where I'm, I'm going to put this, but I love the music in this. Like, it is upbeat, there's some jazz, there's different types of music in it. Like, you go from like, uh, bare necessities into like this really jazzy uh i want to be like you into this kind of dirgy almost uh song from the vultures uh, that kind of ramps up into a Beatles song almost uh as makes sense and when we get there we'll talk more about the Beatles and some stuff about that but i thought like it has such a good range of music and each one has like its own flavor based on the characters so I thought that was a, a fun thing about this movie. I also recognize that in the, while watching the movie, I thought it was really interesting that not all the songs are in the same genre. And I think that's the first movie that we've reviewed so far in the podcast where not everything sort of sounds like it came from the same place, mm -hmm. which I thought was really interesting. And I'm really happy that we're back to the storybook opening mm -hmm. um, as the opening for the movie. Cause I that's think very that's nice. Great touch and very classic disney i miss that um, yeah i thought it was cool i i can only the only modern version of that that i know is shrek <laughs> yeah um yeah. which i love their take on it too uh i do just want to start off our discussion by talking about the book this is based on because they do give a pretty big mention of him before they go in into uh well actually this was also the first um, movie that we've done where they identify all the voice actors by name in the opening credits along with their character. Mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was interesting. I did not recognize any of the names. So I felt kind of stupid. Oh, well, <laughs> I skipped the opening credits. Do I know well. these people? The only one that I know was Baloo, and only because he was a very popular radio uh, oh. voice as well. He did the first couple episodes of Tailspin uh, as Baloo when it first came out. If you guys know what, know what Tailspin is. What? You guys don't know what Tailspin is? Oh, yeah, you, guys, you guys are young. Uh, Tailspin was a show about 
these, oh, it was about Baloo and Baloo's sidekick, which was like another bear, and they like would fly around. Uh, they would fight uh, Don Carnage, uh, who is a sky pirate. It had a lot of the characters from Jungle Book, including King Louie was in it, and so was Shere Khan. Uh, it was a very fun show. It was kind of almost a... Wait. It was very Disney Channel show. Yes, so it was. Uh, it came out before, before maybe slightly after uh, Ducktales, and was it's part in the of. 90s. Yeah, so it was a. I think it was eighties actually, eighties uh, to nineties. But it was a very fun show. It was one of my favorites as a kid. Uh, I loved the everything from the action to the characters to the plots, and that would be if we ever get into the Patreon stuff. I think those would be fun ones to do, like do a. A watch of a couple episodes of these old Disney shows and talk about them because like yeah, that. Because I watched those as a kid. I watched the Hercules one though. Yep, I watched those I ones I've too. Seen any of them? Uh, Ducktales well, I mean, was amazing. You're not missing much. Darkwing <laughs> Duck was amazing too. Uh, yeah, I watched all well, those. I'm, I'm paying for my subscription to Disney Plus also. You know. I would recommend. I would use it to yeah. the full extent. I would recommend yeah. uh, Ducktales for sure, but I would recommend the new one. Uh, like it does call back to like all these fun things from these other shows like Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, and the original DuckTales, but it's done really well. So if you're looking for something to watch, you have? Okay. It's so great. I'm not all caught up on the new TV show for DuckTales, but I watched it because Danny Pudi yep. um, is one of the duck, and I just, it's I think Huey. he's a great actor. Yeah. Um, But what I did want to talk about before we get into is about the book itself, The Jungle mm-hmm. Book. So this was published in 1893. And like Pinocchio, it was serialized and it was published uh, serially in magazines. And let's... Oh, it's got a lot of illustrations in the original publications and some were actually done by Kipling's father, which I thought was a cute little thing there. And... So Rudyard Kipling, he is an English person who was part of the colonization of India. He was born in India and he spent the first six to ten years of his childhood there. And then about ten years later, uh, like ten years more in England, he later went back to India and he wrote stories. So he's listed as a journalist on his wiki. (laughs) Yeah. And he later on even wrote the second Jungle Book, which is the whole title, <laughs> in 1895, because it just got so uh, popular. And he wrote these stories about Mowgli and his animal friends as really interesting fables that sort of teach Mowgli about different ways that you should be living, like uh, how to be safe, uh, family ties, and like how to act according to Kipling and English society, basically. Hmm. So he interprets a lot of these common allegories from Indian culture, but injects English values. So they're very different than a traditional Indian fable would be, which I thought was interesting. Something that we got, we do need to acknowledge before we get into Richard Kipling, uh, and his his book and the adaptation is what else he has written. Um, <laughs> so he's written quite a few books. He was a very prolific author. I've only read one of them called Ricky Tiki Tavi, and that was another sort of fable book that he 
reimagined a very popular Indian fable. Um, the, all the pictures that I found of Rudyard, he is sort of, the vibe that I get off him is the kid in your English class who he, he thinks he's more suave and fun to be around than he is. And he dresses like a stockbroker from the 80s. Um, and he thinks that he's too interesting for all the girls. And that's why no one is interested in him when really he just has like a garbage personality. That's just the vibe I get. Fair enough. <laughs> but what's really in uh, what we really do have to talk about is this book that I think taints most of his work. It is titled The White Man's Burden. And yep. other things. So I don't know if you had to read parts of this or understand uh, or understand this Ben but I had to in high school yeah I didn't know I have no idea the only thing I've ever read from Kipling was the jungle book was written by an Englishman and then it gained popularity in America during our time of manifest destiny which basically we were telling ourselves it was okay that we were colonizing and displacing and murdering um in the Americas it was okay that we were doing that because we were white and therefore the superior race so we could go in and do whatever we wanted because we're bettering the world by being there. And yeah. so it just... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, it, in the book, it's basically saying it's the duty of white people to colonize and to yes. civilize the indigenous. Yeah, and it's also... This was written during a time when slavery still hadn't been outlawed in most of the world yet america was the last holdout and so i think a lot of people think that everywhere else had slavery for just as long but they didn't oh, yeah i have to mention um, this too about the th about the thing the the book itself is like a poem about the filipino american war yeah i, I would definitely want to say that because mm -hmm. people need to know the context of it too yes exactly yeah. so it was written about the war, but this has been co-opted by a bunch of white people believing that they are somehow superior to other races just by the fact of them being a certain complexion and from a certain area in the world. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, so it's arguably, unfortunate there were thought. a lot of... Sorry? That's an unfortunate thought. Yeah. Uh, so this... So I don't know... I do not know Rudyard Kipling. He's dead. I'm never going to get to know him. So I'm never going to be able to ask him this. But I don't know if these stories, The Jungle Book and Ricky Tiki Tavi, I don't know if they were written with respect in mind for the original culture that he borrows from because the themes and the characters in his books, they are, bar he borrows very heavily from Indian um, folklore and culture. Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's been done respectfully and with sort of the mindset of uh, I've been in this culture for so long um, and I just want to make sure people from my original country that, you know, I'm technically a citizen of England. I want people from my original country to be able to enjoy what I've enjoyed as a kid. I don't think it was written like that. No, I, I think he was writing it as in he thinks he was bettering it. Mm-hmm. I would say that I would make sense. Exoticizing it as yeah. a place to have this yeah, fantastical story. Yeah. Um, 
is what he thinks. I don't think he's making it better. I've read a lot of Indian folklore. It's amazing and beautiful, and I don't think it needs to be changed. Um, because there's, like, a right way and a wrong way to do it. Yeah. You know? For sure. And obviously... Folklore... Yeah, and obviously, My like, this guy who's... Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, a lot of the folklore from the country that I'm from... <laughs> well, technically, I'm from... I'm... I was born in America, but my closest relatives, my, my parents, um, are, my mom is directly from England. She came here as a kid. My dad is also from the Isles. Uh, not directly, though. He's born here as well. But mm -hmm. a lot of the folklore from there has been co-opted and changed, and there is definitely a respectful way and a non-respectful way to do it, especially with, like, Irish culture in America, because... <laughs> they were viewed as second-class citizens in America for so long, and a lot of their cultures and traditions have been totally ingrained in white culture in America. But changed me, beyond I'm Irish. Original, yeah, changed beyond a recognition of the original uh, point of the holiday, like Samhain, which has now been turned into Halloween. Mm -hmm. um, it's totally a different point of the whole thing. It's like a lot of I Irish people see it as kind of a bastardization of their culture. And especially St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Um, hold on. My phone was ringing, sorry. That's but I, all I'm saying is those are like the bad faith adaptations that I'm talking about. Is like, you're not actually talking to people from this culture. You are experiencing the culture and you are putting your own spin on it. You're not necessarily a part of it because he was you're a experiencing it as a colonizer. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. He was and... a child in India, and he was the child of a military colonizer. So, You're not probably, he probably never even left the military base that he lived on. You know, like there's probably no way he actually uh, participated in or was able to observe the culture of India. So I don't think. <laughs> and even if he did, it was or it had to have been from like an, from afar and like a, a distant kind of like quote unquote excursion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing I do get to okay. one one thing I do have to wonder is that when writing this, like he wrote it I mean, I'm not gonna make any kind of apology. I think that you're probably right about every point that you've made. Um, but I wonder if people would at this time have cared if he wrote it from a very genuine place. Um as you mean like the world was in England, Yeah. Cared? Yeah. Oh, they wouldn't have. Yeah. So there would have been a fascination though. Yeah. Maybe not like we care for these people, but we're fascinated by this exotic land, quote unquote yeah. exotic land that we always hear about. Well, the thing about British culture in India is like they've co opted a lot of Indian like cuisine and stuff and tried to say that it is British. Like, no, chicken tikka masala is not a British food. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not from there. And like a lot of things, is they like to take ownership of. Uh, the things they've colonized from this country, even today. Tea. So I don't think that... I'm not really sure exactly what you're trying to get out with the question, Ben, but what I'm hearing from you is, like, do you think that Rudyard Kipling's contemporaries would have cared if he did this in a sensitive way? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I don't think they would have cared because it's still a very racist time. They still owned India at that time, so they still felt this ownership and because 
they knew their country owned that country. They felt that they were better than them because they had bested them in war. And they were a different skin color, so they automatically put themselves above him, uh, above these people. So I don't think they would have cared. However, there are examples of people doing this and caring from the time period. So I think he definitely could have. So that's another thing is like, I'm really tired of the excuse. Oh, well, it was a different time um, that a lot of people like to do because, yeah, it was a different time, but doesn't make it right right wrong back then. You know, people still knew people still could have done the work that we do today as white people, Ben and I, of unlearning the prejudice and the white supremacy that we were sort of raised under. You know, once we became adults and we were able to form our own thoughts, we could realize, hey, that was fucked up. And hey, I'm not actually better than other people because of my skin tone, you know? And I'll say this, as a person of color, you two are the nicest white people I've ever met. (laughs) Well, thank you, Ryan. Um, So getting back to the uh, movie side of it. um, Oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, totally okay. (laughs) To go back to... um, And what I'm saying is, because of the base of this story, we still see the racism that it permeates this adaptation of the work, even though it is a very loose adaptation of the work. It's basically an in-name-only adaptation. Mm -hmm. The character names are the same and stuff, and there are some certain similar situations, but they play out very differently. And I think we see it. The, the racism the most in this movie with the character of King Reed, which we can get into um, yeah. when we get to that point in the story. But all I'm saying is you can't like uh, adapt the story, not have, you know, the, the same themes of racism throughout. Even if, like you said, Ben, they didn't really read the book to adapt the movie. Yeah. And actually funny enough with, uh, King Louis, King Louis was actually created um, for this, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Just let me quickly read back through this. Um, yeah, following suggestions, Pete also created the character of King Louis, the monkey. Uh, Louis was less uh, comical character, uh, enslaving Mowgli, trying to get the boy to teach him how to make fire. Um, so, like, the biggest, like, point what we make about the racist part of this, it was actually added. Um and again, it's been a long, long time since I've watched culture more yeah. than like the book. I'm I'm saying like white supremacist culture has permeated like everything about the Jungle Book because it's still a very exotified place in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Disney then they kind of knew better, but they still chose to do something like this in the way that they did because originally what they wanted for King Louis, and you know how King Louis. Sorry to jump out. He sings like something that is racist. They wanted the original voice to be Louis Armstrong, which is a black man, you know? So they had the sense to not do something racist like that, but they still made a movie where it's still racist. So they had the sense, but they still went forward with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a little bit about the production of this. Uh, so after the Sword in the Stone was released, uh, Bill Pete uh, claimed uh, to Walt Disney that. Uh, we as an animation department uh, can do more interesting things with animal characters, which is why this was actually first suggested by Pete to Disney. Uh, after agreeing, Disney decided to 
uh, create an original treatment uh, with very little supervision, as he had done with 100 Dalmatians and the Sword in the Stone. However, because Sword in the Stone was such a disappointment and the reaction was not there, Disney actually decided to jump in on this movie. And like I said, this was his last movie before he passed away. Uh, but he took a very big interest and put like a very big Disney, I'm going to put my hand into everything for this. Uh, saying his, even his son, or sorry, his nephew, uh, saying he influenced everything in the Jungle Book uh, and was got hooked by everything within it as well. So he really, this was like a big project for Disney, uh, which is why you, I think you see a lot more care put into it than we might have seen in some of the ones before it. Um, yeah, oh, I can see that. Yeah. Um, all right. Are we ready to jump into the plot or do you guys want to put anything else out there before I do? No, I'm good. I'm good. Sorry if we ruined this movie for you, Ben. No, I, I, this, I'm going to be honest. This movie can never get ruined for me. This is my childhood right here. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mowgli, uh, a young orphan boy, is found in a basket in the deep jungles of India by Bagheera the panther, who promptly takes him to uh, Raksha, who is the mother wolf uh, who ha just had a litter of cubs. Also, these cubs are so adorable. Oh my god. Um, she, cute. Yeah. Cute, yeah. Uh, she and Rama, uh, who is the male wolf, uh, raise him alongside their uh, cubs until he is just past 10 years old. Mowgli becomes acquainted with the jungle life uh, from both play and with his family there. Bagheera is pleased to see how happy Mowgli is, uh, but worries that Mowgli will eventually need to return to his own kind. Why he didn't just, if he knew where the man village was, why he didn't just bring the Mowgli to the man village in the beginning uh, is always a little yeah, bit of wonder. He was like, oh, I this kid, I don't know how long this kid has been outside left to the elements. He needs food like right now. This is where I know the closest food is maybe. Maybe. And then one of my criticisms of the movie is like, why didn't we spend more time with Raksha and Rama? And one of the things that I do like that they changed in the live action adaptation of this is that we do actually spend and see a relationship formed between Mowgli and his adoptive wolf parents. Mm -hmm. Like, Ra Raksha has no lines. Rama has one. They're plot so devices. You, yeah, yeah, and so I do believe that even though Rama's voice actor does do a good job of conveying emotion and that he's upset he has to let his son leave and that he fears for him. I don't believe it because I've literally never seen him in the same frame with his adoptive son. Yeah. I've only seen with Ra Raksha. So like why I, I need to care about this because this is like a huge thing. That's the catalyst for the entire plot. Why can't I see this happen? And that's why I like that they added in this subplot with the live action one of like Mowgli really wants to be a part of the pack and be a true wolf and he's working and they go into like, okay, not to like go back to Tarzan again, but they go the Tarzan route of Tarzan being really frustrated uh, and Mowgli being frustrated that he has a different body and he can't be an, uh, an ape or a wolf the way the other people in his pack are. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting that he sort of, like, adapts his environment so that he can participate the same way, but, you know, with a different uh, way. Like, Tarzan learns 
different ways of climbing while Mowgli literally climbs so he can and learns how to like jump from branch to branch to be able to keep up with the pack because he knows he can't run as fast. Mm -hmm. That was cool. Yeah. Why can't you do something like that? (laughs) I think on that, part of it would probably be for time, but also this is, it's his story of finding his place, right? So I would have loved to see that. Like that could have probably been its own movie even of just him growing up with this family of wolves, right? And like seeing like the dynamics and how he grew up. But I think based on time and like the restrictiveness of it all, they really had to get him moving. And one thing I actually kind of appreciate, especially after Mary Poppins, is how fast this gets into things. Like we Mm -hmm. go from him giving, given over to the pack to realizing that the danger is there with Shere Khan uh, and Shere Khan is very interesting uh, and maybe we'll get into a little bit later more but instead of being a villain that's like kind of present and like immediate danger is like this very weird overtone of oh my god like this is the most terrifying thing that could be in our jungle and he has now come back um, it's an overarching threat yeah yeah, Which I like is... that, but I just, all I'm asking for, I don't need the whole, I understand that it's, like, a time thing, but all I really want for this movie is, like, maybe a scene. Mm-hmm. You could see, oh, Alexa, off. Um, <laughs> I want is, like, oh, you know, the basket gets tipped a little bit by, uh, it was, like, Bagheera, he, like, knocks the basket a little bit to get the wolf's attention so the baby cries. I want more than her just going over and being like, oh, baby, and then seeing him grown up in the next five seconds. Fair. Like, I want her to maybe, like, you know, have a second of, like, being like, oh, this is a baby, and then, like, picks him up and... Yeah. Like, or maybe in between those scenes, they could be like, and Mowgli grew very fast, and literally, like, you see him take his first steps or mm-hmm. something. Even like in The Prince Mowgli. of Egypt, the queen, she grabbed Moses. Like, they could have had that. Yeah, it could have been. I, I just wanted like a little something, and then they could have just cut out Rama's character and put Raksha in instead. Yeah, that's know? true. Instead of just having her have no lines, be a mother that just we never see again after yeah. she picks up the like Plot I don't device. Like and yeah. you know, I'm not sure if you guys have this in the states, but in Canada we have like the uh, Boy Scouts of America, and we have like beavers then we have cubs and before you go into scouts oh, we have that in America. so yeah so for uh cubs that's this is all based on this like the hierarchy of like your leaders and stuff is based on the jungle book uh so like the leaders all take one of these names so akala uh akala yeah akala is like the head of like your uh your group basically so because he's the head of the wolf pack right uh, mm-hmm. And then everyone else will take, like, these other names, like, Blue and uh, Bagheera and all those things. So I I always like that, and that's actually how I originally got into the Jungle Book. Uh, Wait, were was you a Boy Cubs. Scout? I was. I did Beavers. What was your rank? I went up to just before leaving Scouts into Rangers. Uh, I decided to move into a different thing. I went to swimming uh, competitively instead of staying with that. Oh, I mean, I mean, did you have a jungle book? Oh, no, because I never became a leader. So uh, the kids always are just themselves, and the the parents are the ones who take on these uh, kind of personas. 
interesting. It's really different with Girl Scouts, or I think you guys call them Girl Guides. Girl Guides. In your country? Yeah. Girl Guides, yeah. Our ranking system's, like, so different, because we go, like, Daisy is, like, for the really little kids, so that's the lowest rank, and then it goes to something, then Brownie, then Junior. Okay, yeah, yeah. Junior. So we kind of have that, um, too. And that's... Do they sell cookies in Canada? Oh, yeah. Shit on Boy Scouts, because you guys only had garbage popcorn to sell, and we had amazing Ugh, cookies that the everyone The best cookies. Wanted. The cookies are the best. Like, yeah, popcorn um, was bullshit. If it could just between cookies and popcorn, like, I know we're on a movie podcast, but, you know. Cookies, but cookies yeah. better. The it popcorn sounds... was always gross. Yeah. I will say, I love Girl Scout cookies so much, I'm learning how to make all of them. Because I do have a recipe I'm working on for this cookbook I want to put out for my ultimate mint chocolate chip ice cream. So Ooh. I'm learning how to make my own thin mints and cover them with chocolate. I'm going to have them through my mint chocolate chip ice cream. So sneak nice. peek, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So one night, the Wolfpack parents uh, meet to uh, Council Rock, uh, having learned that Shere Khan, the man-eating Bengal tiger has returned to the pack, uh, pack's part of the jungle. The pack leader Akali Kala, sorry, uh, decides that Mowgli must leave the jungle for uh, his own safety as well as the safety of the pack. Uh, here we get, uh, like you said, uh, Raksha's only line, uh, and it's talking about how he deserves the same protection, but in the end. Uh, bows to the will of the council because that's what you would do. You would bow to Akala, or yeah, Akela, sorry. Um, because he is the alpha. Uh, Bagheera volunteers to escort... Oh. Just, sorry, I have yeah. to... This is like a pet peeve of mine. I'm sorry for interrupting again, so Sam. But uh, there's no such thing as an alpha in a wolf pack or an omega. Um, are, you li are you telling me my ABO fanfiction is wrong? <laughs> I'm serious. There's, it's no such thing. Um, what's really interesting is this initial thing was discovered by a man who I'm totally forgetting the name of. Um, but he went out and he ob observed wolves in captivity. And he was like, oh, here's this like interesting social structure. And he decided to revisit because he is a, a wildlife biologist. So science is constantly changing and re uh, and sort of reimagining itself. So he goes out again and tries to prove it in the wild. And he realizes the social structure that wolves in captivity formed was a family structure that wolves um, in the wild just had naturally. Mm -hmm. So there is a wolf pack and there is like sort of the dominant um, male and there is a dominant female, but they're like moms and dads. Yeah. And it's like a know, family. Yeah, and so the sons usually leave and go find their own pack and make their own, and, like, that's what a wolf pack is. There isn't actually, like, an alpha omega thing. Yeah. Uh, and what's really sad is once he discovered this, he tried to recant it, but society had already, like, latched onto the whole alpha, beta, omega thing, and they applied it everywhere, and he's been publishing works, discounting his own research for years now. Yeah. And no one... <laughs> is paying attention and he's been working very hard to actually discount this initial research that he has very clearly disproven now mm -hmm. i know it's disproven but abo fiction guilty pleasure <laughs> i've never worked. heard that okay i saw the lindsay ellis like 
you know, video essays about it. And I was intrigued, but also they read, like, excerpts, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I, I know it's ridiculous. It's trash media. Mm-hmm. But I love it. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm I'm not saying I'd never read it. I'm not too good for any genre, I think. I'm too good for, like, you know, certain really gross things. Yeah. As in, like, you know, pedophilia and shit. I'm never reading that. Um, but you know what? I'll, I'll try it. If you like it, I'll try it. I mean, the ones I read are manga. Okay. I'll Which try I, it. I, I haven't read manga though, that much. I'll try it. <laughs> I will say, though, the in trigger warning, it is a little bit rapey. Like, Ugh. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I read it right Maybe now. Not. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Bagheera volunteers to escort him back to the man village, uh, and they leave that very night uh, without Mowgli actually knowing what's happening. Uh, he and Bagheera rest in a tree for the night, and you get this funny scene where he's trying to climb the tree, and he's just terrible at it, because um, the tree is too wide around, and he can't make it up. So you get this funny thing of him trying to help the man cut up the tree, and like getting his face kicked, and all that stuff. I thought this was a very cute scene. Um, and now we meet Ka, the hungry Indian python, uh, who is able to hypnotize people just by looking at them and talking to them in this sultry voice that he has. Um, after trying to devour Mowgli, Bagheera intervenes and is himself uh, hypnotized until Mowgli pushes the snake off of the tree, uh, where Ka gets knotted and caught in a tree himself. Um, this was a little bit of good levity as we just got this like heavy thing of this kid needs to leave or else he's going to get eaten by a tiger. Uh, so I thought this was a good place for this to have this kind of like, you know, the forest is a dangerous place, but it also can be comedic at the same time. Yeah. No, when I thought that was interesting. I liked that too. When it's Disney, they have to have those little parts in between. Huh? Yeah. And I would assume... Scene. And so I thought it was interesting. There was like a different type of chase scene for each little serialized story. Cause you can mm -hmm. really tell when each one starts and begins like in Pinocchio. Yeah. Uh, and in that, into that, like you said, next scene, uh, the next morning Mowgli tries to join the elephant patrol, which wakes them up, uh, very, very loudly. And Bagheera is not impressed. Um, but it's led by colonial Hathi and his wife, Winifred, um, I love this scene. I always have loved this scene where he, like, is talking to the kid and he becomes, like, instant friends with this, uh, elephant child and he, like, does, like, the military march and puts his snout up, uh, and they do the snout inspection. I always love this part. Yeah. Uh, though I noticed that the second person who gets, uh, inspected is definitely high. Like, he's chewing on a leaf, his eyes are completely bloodshot, and you're like, alright, well, so... This guy was just, like, super high on weed. Yeah, I'm just... Well, now I'm thinking, when did Reefer Madness come out in relation to this? Like, did we still think that weed made you want to murder people? Maybe? <laughs> I'm not no, exactly sure when that was cool. around. I did a whole episode on weed and its litigation. They literally made up the fact... Uh, so, the I think it was the FDA... Something, this guy at the FDA, he wasn't banning enough stuff and, like, saying something was a drug and, like, illegal yet. Um, prohibition had just ended or something. And please just listen to the episode. It's much yeah. more well-researched. Yes. Um, uh, everyone should listen to her episodes. They're always fun. 
to listen to. Thank you. Yeah. But so here's the thing. He told um, Americans and he, he made weed illegal. Sorry, I hear myself on someone else's. Is it mine? I think it's yours, Ryan. Okay, try again. So what's interesting is he had to find something to make illegal. So he said weed was illegal and he said Mexicans who smoke weed thirst for white blood. Jesus. (laughs) So they made it illegal. And so they made a lot of, you know, PSA movies like Reefer Madness, where they implied that if you smoked enough weed, you would go into a murderous rage and like kill your loved ones. Oof. Yeah, I I don't I would say that this was probably after that scare then cuz I I I don't know if they would put a character like this into a movie like this if that was a big thing. Uh cuz yeah. this guy is like he's just super chill. Yeah. Was this in the 60s? 67. 67? Okay, yeah. This was definitely post reefer madness. Yeah, cuz this this guy is like super chilled out and I'm like, "Yep, okay, I'll clean my snout the next time, but uh right now I'm just kind of here." Um so Sounds more like weed. Yeah. Like, it's just <laughs> super chill, dude. Um, Bagheera finds Mowgli, but uh, after a uh, fight with Mowgli, uh, decides to leave him on his own. Uh, and he, this is where he finds the super laid-back, fun-loving sloth of a bear, Baloo. And my favorite character this entire movie. Uh, who promises to raise Mowgli himself... Uh, and never take him to the man village. So this is like that that uncle that just wants to be the cool uncle and have this kid around and not let him like grow up. Um, that's yeah. kind of how I saw Baloo. I will say I thought the voice that they I liked that they cast Bill Murray in the re, uh, remake because I think it's the perfect voice for that kind of character. Yeah, that's he also sounds a lot like Bill Murray. Yeah, like this, and yeah. um, it's the only I, casting I that made sense too. I think he's just, like, such a sweetheart. Like, he's mm-hmm. in over his head, but he's doing his best. <laughs> and he yeah. really, like, cares about this child. Yeah, he's just, like, hanging out, right? He's he's that fun uncle who just wants to, like, hang out and, like, do fun things and teach this kid all the, these great things. But he's probably, like, you know, not the most adult adult. <laughs> yeah, and then what I really liked with his character development in the movie was when Mowgli does get kidnapped again later on because he's just, like, that's just him. He's the damsel in distress of this movie. Mm-hmm. He Baloo refers to him as my cub, which is so cute. Mm-hmm. Like he's I like he goes from oh I guess I'll like hang out with you to like that's my son. Yeah, get away from my son. <laughs> and like is willing to like give up his own life for this kid too, right? Like he he grew such like a very strong bond in such a small amount of time because you can tell that he loves this kid like mm-hmm. incredibly. Yeah, I mean, um, who wouldn't? Mowgli is, like, a sweetheart. Oh, I yeah. And we get the he great have... song here, too. The Bare Necessities, yeah. which is probably, I think it's one of the most famous songs from Disney. And was uh, the only nomination in this movie was for that song, for the Oscars. Oh, uh, to bring in last week's episode, too, though, it's also one of those songs that's on every single Disney soundtrack. Everyone. And I love it's it. Yeah. It's a great song. Uh, I like it because it's like very much like a you know like you don't need all this materialistic stuff like the the world will provide for you if needed like what you need is all around you so I always like that message. I wish that were still true today. In yeah, America, I wish I could live that way, but I mean I like my stuff. 
Yeah. Capitalism has sunken its claws into me. Yep. And also just, I constantly fight the urge to drop off the face of the earth and like find a cabin in the middle of nowhere. Cottagecore. I stop interacting <laughs> with the world. Cottagecore is a product of capitalism, though. Yes. Yeah. So after this, after we get this great scene of him, like, kind of the lazy wash down the river, uh, he's just talking to Mowgli, and Mowgli gets picked up by a bunch of monkeys. And uh, this is where we meet King Louis, who we talked about before. Louis offers Mowgli uh, help uh, and able to stay in the jungle with them under their protection as long as he gives them fire that the other humans have. Well... Mowgli has never actually been to the land of man and has no idea how to make fire, which is obvious because it's not like a innate trait that we have as humans. Um, however, uh, sorry, Bagheera and Baloo uh, now come together and they need to rescue Mowgli from the monkeys. Uh, I'm not sure why they kept on to this kid so much after he said he didn't know how to make fire, but uh, they really wanted to keep Mowgli in the mix. Uh, and this is where we get the I want to be like you song. Um, yeah. And they thought he was lying, I thought. Oh, maybe. That would make yeah, sense. That's how I interpreted it. Is like he goes, oh, Louie, I can't make fire. And he goes, okay, don't be, you know, don't be like that. I know you know. Oh, yeah, because he's like, I want, I made a deal with you. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I can see it. So we then get this really fun, like, like this dance scene. There's, like, some really nice uh, uh, scatting in there and stuff. It's a very fun song. Uh, and you can tell that it was written for someone like Louis Armstrong, like a very prominent jazz musician. Uh, and like we said, like, this is another switch. We went from the Bare Necessities, which is, like, this very fun, upbeat music, to this very jazz uh, swing kind of music uh, that's very danceable, right? Uh, and you get these great moments, one of which a lot of these uh, dance scenes are actually reused uh, through rotoscoping in Robin Hood. Um, a lot of the stuff with like when Baloo and uh, King Louie are dancing together, when he disguises himself as a monkey by using, uh, what does he use? He's a coconut and he has like a palm frond skirt. <laughs> uh, a lot of that is used again when... Uh, Little John and the nurse are dancing together. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the nurse uh, went. Watch it yeah, see. went scene scene for scene. So like they actually just drew over King Louis and made it into the chicken in Robin Hood. Oh. Yeah. And then for Robin Hood, they also reused Snow White when mm -hmm. she dances with the doors. So that was uh, Marion. Wait, question: Why does Disney reuse a lot of these? Because it's expensive it's and crazy. Cheap. Yeah, it's crazy expensive to do animation this way. So if you can reuse old storyboards and just put new characters over top, it saves time and a lot of money. Okay, yeah, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, and there's one other one that it uses. But we'll get into that when we get into Robin Hood, but they use a lot of uh, dance scenes from other things, including like Aristocats and stuff. Very yeah. fun. I think, you know, I really doubt people could tell until you could take the movie home with you, you know, and keep rewatching it, and then you could notice the similarities. I think, Yeah, because it's so rare to watch it. Yeah. one. I think we noticed that, and they finally admitted to doing it when, like, videotapes came out, DVDs. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think it's a bad practice. I think it's a very smart practice, right? Like, I don't I'm think it's... Yeah. I'm just saying they probably didn't advertise no. that they were doing this until after. Yeah. They were stuck in the vault. Yes, it's true. They were shoved in the Disney vault. I always thought that was a funny thing to do Sorry. to movies from Disney. Um, like, I remember being a kid like, and having that. Scarcity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so during the uh, this dance scene and this musical number, at one point, they start to destroy this ancient ruin uh, to the point that Louis is forced to hold up the ruin by himself. Um, and then Baloo gets knocked into a second pillar and Baloo looks up and he's holding it and he's like, I could just let go of this. And he just like walks out and you see this, oh my God, terrifying scene of like this ruin coming down on everybody. And Bagheera and Baloo both getting hit by rocks, which is seems to be a theme for uh, Baloo. He's getting his head hit with things. But um, yeah, I thought that was a really fun scene where like the ruins crumbling around King Louis and he's like left holding one little piece of his kingdom that's still intact. What I did like about the scene, though, is it's actually a pretty realistic uh, show of how strong the animals that these characters are. Bears, crazy strong. They can knock over a car if they want to. Mm -hmm. And orangutans, a lot of people think they're lazy and not that strong. Um, it's terrifying. Lazy, yeah, they're huge and amazing. And if I went into primatology, which I almost did, because that's a form of biological anthropology... Uh, I would have studied orangutans. They're my favorite primate, uh, other than black simangs, which they actually live together in zoos a lot because they're from the same area, but they look like totally different. Uh, orangutans are about the size of a person, usually a little larger. They just have very short legs because they don't use them as much and they swing by their arms. That's mm -hmm. why humans have much longer legs than most primates because we walk upright, so we use them more. Oh, so cool. we evolved to just have longer ones. And our arms should have been longer because, well, I'm getting into some weird territory that's, you know, not totally proven yet because it's evolutionary theory. But anyway, I love orangutans and they are crazy strong. What's really cool about if you go to the zoo, you see them moving, they move around really slowly and you think it's because, you know, maybe they're like lazy or, you know, they're not very strong, but because of their huge size and the fact that they love to live in really high trees like Simangs and other very small apes, they can very easily break off the branches they go onto. Mm. So they're very carefully testing if something's going to hold them, but they can also very easily probably hold up the building that they have King Louie hold up. Yeah. Which I thought was a cool little thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like this scene. And it's very unfortunate that what they did with like the racial caricature uh, and stereotypes they added in here but yeah it's not quite they don't have him speaking ave but mm -hmm. it is definitely they have him have a very different speech pattern mm -hmm. um than all the other animals like it's very clear that they are coded white and he is coded black yeah which is unfortunate uh mm -hmm. so and he is voiced by actor just you know they ended yeah. up not going with Louis Armstrong they went with a white actor yeah they but went with uh, too, though, Phil Harris he's the most human like character because he's other than Mowgli because he's an he's like a primate but they still have him speaking 
I don't want to say least human, but coded differently. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and what's in, and then I think what's most telling about the intent behind the character is that you know they call him a monkey. So not only is he not a monkey, he's a primate, um, which is encompasses encompasses both apes and monkeys, but they're different. Apes are very different. They're very closely related to humans and thus evolve very differently than monkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, monkey is a very common slur for black people in America. In general, not just in America. Yeah. Well, I don't know for sure if it's used elsewhere because I'm used, not. It was used here. Okay. Yeah. So it's a very common slur for black people in North America is what we know for sure, but it's probably used elsewhere. Yeah. Um. So I think that's also what's most telling about the intent. Yeah. You know? And I think that definitely takes away from the scene looking at it now. Um, but the funness of it is also there. Um, I think that if not for those things, this would probably be like the perfect scene for this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so from here, Bagheera speaks to Baloo and convinces him that Mowgli needs to leave the jungle because Shere Khan is around. And when it comes down to it, Shere Khan is the most powerful being or creature in this jungle. And as it would be, a Bengal tiger is a very dangerous threat, uh, probably more so than a black bear would even be. So uh, Blue agrees and uh, reluctantly explains to Mowgli that the Man Village is the best place for him to stay safe. Uh, but Mowgli accuses him of breaking his promise and runs away to another part of the forest that didn't really look like jungle. Maybe that's just because I don't know much about the jungle, but it looked more like a wasteland. <laughs> um, and uh, Blue sets off in search of Mowgli and Bagheera rallies to help uh with the help of Hati and his patrol to help find the man cub. However, Shere Khan himself, who was eavesdropping on Bagheera and Hati's conversation, is now determined to hunt down and kill Mowgli. And I believe this is the first time we actually get a, a sight of Shere Khan. And you see, like, this very, like, the gravitas in his voice and everything is very terrifying. Like, as a kid, I remember being scared of Shere Khan. I do have something controversial yet brave to say about Shere Khan. Mm-hmm. It didn't make him hot enough. Fair he, enough. He should have been hotter. But I you could see that, like... How would he have been hotter? He seemed handsome. They should have gone sort of the Lion King route on saying... Like oh, yeah. Yeah. They should have gone a little bit more that way instead of making him as angular, because I love tigers in real life. I think they're beautiful creatures. I think they should have made him not quite as villainous as they tried to make him. Mm-hmm. You know, for young, young children, they wouldn't have saw him as a villain. Yeah. Maybe. With the voice, I bet they could have. But I'm just saying, I think they could have made him, like, a little bit more beautiful just because tigers are gorgeous and they should have. I do like that they gave him giant paws because they do have giant paws. Yeah. That's, like, anatomically correct and everything. But I wish he had, like, a different ear size almost. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. And I think they shouldn't have made his, like, his jaw kind of looks like a stare. And all I'm saying is they did a really good job with Bagheera. Yeah. And making him look like a tiger, like, not a tiger, like a jaguar as much as they could. Or no, a A panther. Panther. Sorry. As much as they could, um, while also making him, you know, a cartoon. Mm -hmm. So I 
they went a little too far with Shere Khan in one direction when they should have gone another. But can we um, can we talk about the voice for a second? His voice is amazing. Okay. Oh my god! Like when you hear him true. sing later, oh oh, that low voice is just like the best. Someone, yeah, that's if sexy. Came up to me in a club and started talking to me like that, my pants would be off. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just. Um, all right, so from here, um, Mowgli encounters Ka once again, uh, who again attempts to eat him after hypnotizing him to sleep. This is terrifying. Like, Ka is... I, I know he's not, like, the villain, but he is definitely a terrifying character, like, who can just, like, hypnotize people and just go at them and eat them. Like, that is he a... Is creepy, yeah. yeah. And I wonder if they use the same voice actor for the snake in... Uh, Robin Hood because they I think sound so. really similar. I think they do. They also use like the same uh, like rotoscoping kind of thing for him as well. Yeah, they do look similar as well. But yeah. I do have one thing really quick. That point you made about Mowgli running away to an area with the buzzards and it's not looking like a jungle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a theory because later on with the fight you see that like thunder comes and lights the area on fire, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, thunder and lightning comes and hits that area. Maybe it looks that way and like all like like a wasteland and burnt out and there's no green because there was like a fire there. Yeah. Well, yeah, totally could be a thing. It, there was totally like a fire because I've seen the difference in an area before and after a fire and it totally looks like that. Yeah. Well, you, it's also interesting because like we talk about these little almost vignettes, right, that happen like these little individual stories that happen within the Jungle Book. Each one seems to be kind of in a different environment, right? Like we have... The original one, which is, like, at the, the wolf pack's house. Uh, then we go to the actual jungle. Then we go to, like, this dirt path. Then we go to a ruin, right? So we go through, like, all these different areas based on the characters we're interacting with as well. So it kind of adds that, new, like, that little extra step of being, like, this is the next portion of this story. So, easier to storyboard. Yeah, easier to storyboard, probably. Uh, easier to, like, make distinction. Uh, between the yeah, scenes I think as well. Yeah, it's a good like bookend. For, yeah. Like, okay, we're done there. We're going here now. Yeah. Uh, so from him getting put to sleep, uh, Ka interacts with Shere Khan, who is trying to find out from Ka if he knows where the man cub is. Uh, I thought this scene was kind of fun because you get like the well, he's not in this side of my body, and he's on this side, so he's like moving his like snake part, uh, but doesn't show him the middle. Mm-hmm. Um. Here, Mowgli says that he kind of wakes up from his stupor and uh, says that Ka is lying to him again uh, and runs off uh, as a storm gathers around. Uh, a depressed Mowgli encounters a group of friendly vultures uh, who accept Mowgli as a fellow outcast right away. Uh, this scene is amazing. I love these vultures. I love that they're, like, based on the Beatles. Uh, originally, they wanted the Beatles to voice and sing uh, this part. And there was actually supposed to be another character who got cut. There was supposed to be a kind of dim-witted uh, rhino uh, that was in this scene that did a song with them as part of the outcasts. Um, oh, that's cute. I do have to say, though, if you hadn't mentioned beforehand to us that these were based on the Beatles, I don't think I would have picked up on it. Oh, really? Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten it either. Oh, man. But even as a kid, I knew. you mentioned it. Yeah, even as a kid, I could tell the things. Especially one of the vulture sounds just like Ringo. Uh, the one with the that hair one, over yeah. his eyes. That one was spot on with Ringo. But I think 
I didn't get it because my dad is a huge Beatles fan. Mm. So arguably maybe I should have, but I grew up watching like the Yellow Submarine movie they did. Yeah. So maybe it's like I have, I know what they're supposed to sound like. Yeah. And that's totally fair. And what's funny, you bring up the Yellow Submarine. The reason why the Beatles didn't do this movie was because they didn't, they were doing the show at that point uh, and they didn't want to go into animation. Uh, They didn't think it was valuable. Uh, So them coming out with Yellow Submarine later makes it very interesting that they saw like, oh, well, animation is a credible place to go uh, for us. Uh, Did you guys hear about they wanted to be in Lord of the Rings? Yes. They wanted to like voice the hobbits in one of the animated things yeah it was oh, the and... anime. i thought you meant like the live action yeah no no no. in the animated movies they made in the 80s i think and mm-hmm. what's interesting is uh J.R. tolkien he put a stop to it because they lived near him at some point in his life and he thought their band practice was so annoying and so loud and bad that he said you're not even gonna come near my that's amazing <laughs> Oh man, um, yeah. So it's it's these vultures are very fun. Uh, I'm glad that they didn't go with them though, because I was listening to like what the original song was supposed to sound like, and it was supposed to be, I would say, more towards like kind of that upbeatness that you get from a lot of Beatles songs, right? Like this very popped up pop music, and I'm glad that they went with like this very sullen kind of start to the song, and it kind of ramps up as they go into like. Uh, what are friends for right and like yeah i'm glad that they didn't just do it very poppy because it really showed like this growth right it showed like you know you're really depressed and all this stuff but you have people around you who are willing to help i'm also glad they didn't get the Beatles too because it's one of those where it's like it would have they're so famous it would have overshadowed the movie yeah it would have overshadowed all the other cast for sure yeah um the beatles and this song is great too. I I just I love this song. I as I've said before, I love the music in this uh, completely. But at the end of this song, we get this very short thing that I think this is the only time you hear Shere Khan sing, and he goes into this really low uh, part portion that just like is amazing. Like it just it really takes that song and puts it up one level just with that one line. Uh, yeah, it's just done so well, and I wish that we got a Shere Khan song. Um, I'm not sure when it starts, but... You know what I bet it would sound like? um, You know in Fern Gully, that really uh, old movie from the 90s? I haven't watched Fern Gully either. That's a good movie. Well, there's Tim Curry plays the villain in that, and he basically plays like an oil monster because it's all about environmentalism in Fern Gully. You would like it, I think, Ryan, but... Okay. got a great villain song in there, and I bet it would sound just like Tim Curry's. Yeah. And, you know, eventually we do get, like, uh, villains all getting their own song and their own spotlight, uh, but I don't think that happens until around Little Mermaid. Uh, I think you're right. Oh, wait. Prince John has a song in Robin Hood. This is, like, a half Robin Hood podcast episode. Yeah. I think he has a song. Um, Or maybe there's, like, a diss track about him. I know there's a song about him. There's a diss track about him, for sure. Uh, And... Uh, Sheriff of Nottingham has like a little subverse, uh, so he like basically uh, paradises another song within it. Uh, but yeah, it, it's funny you can't really talk about this movie without talking about Robin Hood because so many things are pulled over from it. 
Uh, yeah. In some ways, I mean, this kind of marks that like next step in Disney as well, uh, as you get more music and that kind of thing in their uh, things as well. Yeah. And real quick for Ryan and those of our listeners who haven't seen Ferngully, uh, we are partnered with Spotify now through our, like not us, the our podcast host, Anchor, uh, who we do ads for on here now. Mm-hmm. So if you you're paying us, great. But uh, they recently partnered with Spotify, so now we can use songs from Spotify and not get our podcast taken down. Oh, we dang. We do like a bit of the villain song from Fern Gully. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's a good uh, thing to know, though. Wait, yeah. so we can use... Wait, is Disney music on Spotify? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah that'd is. be something to look at. soundtrack is on Spotify. Oh, nice. But um, I would check how much of a song we can put in just in case i think it's like 30 seconds oh no it'd be uh, we can talk about this more later but it'd be fun to do like an episode where we just talk about some of our favorite songs and then we like have them play so that like a radio show almost that could be a fun thing to do later we could sing them yeah like a news episode like talking about our favorite song from the year uh something to think about as we go into uh 2022 um so from here, uh, Shere Khan appears and uh, scares off the vultures and confronts Mowgli. Uh, here, Baloo rushes in and we get this kind of interesting chase scene uh, and a little bit of a fight. And poor Baloo in this, he just gets wrecked by Shere Khan um, until the lightning comes down and Mowgli uh, is able to tie a stick that is on fire to Shere Khan's tail. Um Telling Shere is like showing Shere Khan, and Shere Khan runs off scared because that is the only thing that scares Shere Khan is fire and guns. Uh, that's why he hates man and why he has a mission to kill man. Yeah. Uh, I think they, they should have given him like a burn or something because they did that in the remake. They like half his face had like a big burn scar, and that's mm-hmm. why he hated man because he was physically hurt. Yeah. So they don't want to give him a burn scar because it's like very early Disney. I don't know if they could do that, but. They could say, like, oh, well, man's fire killed my cubs, or something like that. Like, give him a reason. Yeah. And in the original one, uh, Shere Khan's the one who takes out Mowgli's village, I believe. Or in the uh, remake, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, they make him more of a villain in that one. Uh, So, from here, uh, he panics and runs away, and the rain starts to come in and puts out the fire around them. Uh, And... We get this really sad scene of Baloo on the ground in the rain, in the water, just dead. and Or we suspect that he's dead. And Bagheera gives, like, this really nice speech about him, about, like, this is a space that we will remember Baloo forever and his sacrifice that he made to for Mowgli. And it's... I found this such a powerful scene. Uh, and then when he, like, wakes up, like, it's kind of like, it makes it comedic. But, like, it's very... If they had left Baloo dead, it would be really dark but it would have been a very huge moment too right like yeah. Baloo they thought of have. his kid as his son and he gave his life for him right I think I bet in the original draft he probably stayed dead because they it was super dark but I think having that for a kid having Baloo die on screen would probably have been pretty devastating I think that's also a good lesson though too as adults, good. yes. Yeah. As kid, I think that I would have been completely wrecked if no, but they for killed kids him. too. Like your parents, if they care about you, or the people who raise you, that they cho- that chose you, 
look at the lengths they're willing to sacrifice and they may not always be there for you so you mm -hmm. should so you should appreciate them moving forward i think that's a good lesson no yeah yeah well they do it with bambi already they've done it with bambi that's true yeah and look how people reacted to that um i did write in my notes during the blue scene uh, i was like i feel i remember this being the fake out scene and i, and I wrote that this is a lot disney keeps doing these weird death fake out scenes we've only yeah. had one true death they didn't have the balls to do it and we keep seeing like someone laying down looking like they're dead and the only other real death that we've seen was the off-screen death in lady and the tramp where they take a dog out to shoot it oh yeah <laughs> Wait, isn't snow white technically dead until what's his name kisses her again no, she's uh in a coma. Yeah. She's in a coma. Isn't she supposed to be dead in the original? Not in the movie, but in the original fairy tale. Well, no, she uh she chokes on an apple on the apple that's given to her, and when the dwarves take her in her glass coffin, um, to bury her, they or like they put her out on display, and one of the people slip. No, wait, hold on. So the dwarves have her out on display. Prince Charming sees her here's the situation, and he's like, oh, okay, I'll take her to my castle, and I'll see if I can, like, give her a proper burial, or uh, heal her, or find her family. And his workers pick up the casket after the dwarves agree, and take it back to the castle, and one of them slips, and Snow White gets jostled, and the apple gets, basically, she gets heimlicked, and the apple comes out of her mouth, and she's alive. Yeah. So it's not really poison no. in the story to begin with, I think. Or, like, there's a lot of different... The big thing about these folk t uh, these fables and folktales from Europe is we think of the Grimm's fairy tale version being the only one, and that's the one I just described. But there's actually a ton of different mm -hmm. interpretations, and they the Grimm's brothers just interviewed a bunch of people and sort of wrote what they thought. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're accepted as, like, the, as the stories, but they're not the originals. Yeah. So there is probably a, a story out there that is mm -hmm. like she got a poison apple. Yeah. All right, so we're at the very end here. So Bagheera and Baloo take Mowgli to the edge of the man village, uh, but Mowgli is hesitant to go there until he sees this very cute girl come down who's uh, singing her song about the water uh, and her family. Um, going to get a closer look, he falls into the water. She laughs. It's cute. Uh, he comes up, and then she drops the water pail so that he'll pick it up and bring it to her. Uh, I thought this was very cute, because Blue's like, she did that on purpose. And Bagheera's like, of course she did. Like, she wants to know yeah, more about this kid. Um, I'm reminded of that, like, John Mulaney joke he did a while ago, where he's like, you know, some of those sentences where they, where you, you speak them or you hear them, and you know that there's, like, an implied idiot at the end? Mm-hmm. Like, um, where are my glasses? They're on your head. Idiot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not a huge supporter of John Mulaney. Just, so you know, yeah. stop coming for me, people. <laughs> but yeah, um, and from this point, uh, Bagheer and Baloo decide that, you know, it's probably best, even though Baloo is very hesitant to let him go. Uh, but knowing that Mowgli is safe, we get a reprise of Bare Necessities with Bagheera and Baloo. And Bagheera's got a great singing voice. Uh, as well. Like, I'm very, very impressed with the singers in this. Um, even more so than a lot of recent Disney. So, but yeah, no, I think it's, it's this is about classic Disney. 
they are really good at voice casting. Mm-hmm. Especially their singers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the movie. Um, before we get Jungle Book 2, which apparently... I did not know this was a theatrical release, so we will be reviewing Jungle Book 2 Wait, at some point. A... Oh, yeah, there is a... Yep. It was released in I 2003, I believe? But it was a theatrical release one, so we will be going over that eventually. When we get there. When we get there. When we get to oh, another, I think, 40 years from when this was made. 30 years? Something like that. It feels like another 40 years until we get there for our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's Jungle Book. Um, like, I know we've been talking about this for about an hour now, but I do love this movie. Um, like, I think that it's a very well-told story in a lot of ways. I think that Mowgli gets, like, this... He gets a character growth, at least a little bit. I don't think it's as much as we've seen in some of the other ones. But he does... He... This is about him trying to find a place where he fits. Uh, that's really what this story is, right? Like, he doesn't fit, like, he's not, he's kicked out of the wolves, he doesn't fit in with the elephants, he doesn't fit in with the vultures, doesn't fit in with the monkeys, what, where does he fit? Or the primates, sorry. Oh, he doesn't fit in with the primates, where does he fit? He kind of, he thought he fit in with Baloo, uh, and he, I'm sure he would have fit with Baloo, but, Bagheer is always there to be like, you know, when it comes down to it, you are most safe with, uh, the man village right and it's probably true and he you know when it comes down to it they'll be able to provide for him better in the long run uh but it really is about him trying to find that place that fits and then he finds that in the end right he sees this girl instantly falls in love with her and decides you know maybe this is something i need to try to see if it's for me i will say though just to be a debbie downer um statistically like in real life people that have been like raised by wolves or bears or whatever in the wild when they do come back to humans and try to sort of reintegrate into society it's usually incredibly unsuccessful yeah they have a hard time which makes sense and most of them they can't ever fully re-enter society a lot of them can't even speak properly no yeah most of them never even speak uh like I think a lot of them were just mute until the end of their days or uh, they had a really hard time learning to speak because even though they technically evolved to be able to speak like we do, they were bred, uh, not bred, they by animals that use their mouths and their vocal cords in a totally different way. Mm -hmm. So they were nurtured in a way that is, totally uh analogous yeah not analogous uh it just Foreign. doesn't with human society yeah like uh we like to call ourselves animals and everything but i think that humans have evolved to a point that we can never uh fully go back to being like early man mm-hmm. i think we've evolved to a point where it's not possible anymore oh for sure yeah. i also want to say it's this is not a bad movie to like like i just think it's one of those where you have to acknowledge where oh, disney of course yeah. yeah i don't think so i agree with ryan i don't think that you know this is a bad movie by any means and at least there is something in the beginning to let you know hey this is this does contain some harmful stereotypes and if you are a white person who is 
uh, or an Asian person, or just someone who watches the movie and you're like, I'm not really sure why it was racist. It's very easy to find out why and you can re-educate yourself. So yeah. I think it's, I like that they have the sort of disclaimer in the front. So people who haven't, uh, people who like sort of need to do the work on recognizing racism. Yeah. Now recognize racism. Yeah. Well, I will say good on Disney to a point that they are doing things like that. Of course, there's more that they can do, but at least they're doing something. Yeah. And they're acknowledging their own downfall, like their past mistakes. Or not downfall, but their own past mistakes. mistakes, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think Disney could have a downfall. (laughs) I don't think they're... They own too many other companies. They own the world. Yeah, they own own media in this day and age. I think what could be really nice that they could add on to this effort with, like, doing the disclaimer... They already make so much money off this stuff already. They could say, like, half of this is going to, you know, uh, NAACP if it's, Mm -hmm. like, a racist stereotype against black people in America. If it's against uh, Asian people, it could go to Stop Asian Hate, you know? It's not that hard to find a charity that can, you know, better the community that you maligned. Yeah. Yeah, but corporate greed. Yeah. That too. And well, I, I, I've never done any research on this. Maybe they do give to those organizations, but... I don't uh, think they do. Yeah. I think Disney takes a fairly new, politically neutral stance because they don't want to alienate things. This is yeah. why... Um, or alienate groups. This is why they don't have the balls to do lots of things that they quote-unquote want to do, but they do some things that feel half-assed so they can still appeal to another group. Yeah. Well, yeah. Especially just look at Luca. Because yeah. that is definitely that's a it's a gay allegory, right? Yeah. I mean, crazy for the yeah. I feel like a lot of people have seen this and like recognized that. And then also like Raya and the Last Dragon. I stand by the fact that you know, I sense some gay lesbian love between the two main female uh, characters in Raya and the Last Dragon in a good mm-hmm. way. Like I I wish they had gone all the way, but. Yes, Brian, they do. They're a little too politically neutral. Um, I will say, though, on the gay thing, though, for this movie, do you think it could be read as kind of like gay? Because I've, 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 in my research, I've saw some gay readings of the Jungle Book. I like totally I said, agree. Yeah. yeah. I put like Mowgli has two dads. <laughs> yeah. In my notes, you know? And then I... also like the chosen family aspect too because a lot of gay people they don't have their own family so they have a chosen family yeah chosen family as soon as i see that i think there's got to be some alphabet mafia shit going down Mm. i also i love that we've taken that (laughs) that alphabet mafia uh did you know that was like literally like a conservative person used that as an insult and we were just like oh okay this is ours now it's actually kind (laughs) of cute it is cute. The Alphabet Mafia have canceled another person is basically what the initial post was. And everyone was like, we're rolling with it. <laughs> I mean, it's cute. It's not a, I mean, a, it's creative, but like, it's not insulting. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I agree. I think that I, I could definitely see some of those elements. I don't know if I personally saw that, but maybe that's just because that's not my experience. I saw that as like a, a community raising a child, right? Yeah, uh, I don't think it's it was the intent either. But no, I but I could definitely see it. I could definitely see like the analogies and like the like the uh, similarities between those uh, 
but as someone who like i grew up in a uh, housing co-op so like a lot of families around so a lot of ways that i was kind of raised by a community rather than just my own parents uh oh, yeah, obviously so i was but takes care of you yeah so like we yeah we're all babysitting each other or that kind of stuff too so but yeah i i love it informs how you consume media so mm -hmm. i'm not saying then that uh you'll never ever be able to see queer subtext because you're not a queer person i think it's just easier for queer people to see that because yeah. we're giving so little common mm -hmm. yeah we have to look for it like i could i could rant so much yeah and i wish that more media would have that um and we actually... latch on very strongly to the things that are overtly gay like mm -hmm. ryan have you seen the birdcage actually no. Oh my god, you'll love it. Okay. Okay. Have you guys seen the um, Owl House? Yes. No. Oh, Ryan, you should watch it. It's great. Hey, you love it. <laughs> yeah. So the main character uh, gets into a relationship with her her friend, and it's really cute, and it's really great, and um, I would definitely suggest it. It's one of my favorite shows, right now. Well, uh, the Birdcage is Robin Williams and Nathan Lane play a gay couple. Oh, I've heard of it. I've heard of. It. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. So. For our viewers, and Ben, have you seen this movie? I haven't, no. Okay, so Robin Williams and... Oh my god, my brain just blanked on the name I just said. Nathan Lane. Okay. They uh, are a couple, and they have a son. Well, Ro it's Robin Williams' biological son, but the mother um, doesn't want custody, so she like signed her parental rights away. And then they met Nathan Lane's character, and Nathan Lane calls him... like. Like, he's the mother, because he's, like, more effeminate. So it does fall into, like, not great gender roles. And there are, like, you know, parts of it that are not great. It was made in the 90s. So they didn't have great gay relations. I still think they should have had actual gay people. But it is hilarious and really great. Um, it's a lot like Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, in that I wish they had actual, you know, drag queens and gay people as the people in there, which... Ryan, have you seen Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? Yes. Okay. So it's kind of like that. It's very campy and amazing. Um, but the main story is, so Val, the son, he falls in love with a girl at college, and they want to get married. Only problem is the girl, her father is a big conservative senator. And... <laughs> He gets into hot water at work because he is, like, a chairperson on this, like, moral authority thing where basically it's, like, white conservative men saying they know how to, they know everything, you know? Um, but one of the guys on his, like, chairperson, uh, on his committee, he gets found, he has a heart attack and he is found dead with a underage black hooker. Um, and so it's like this whole thing. Well, sex worker, sorry. Um, so he's found with an underage, uh, black sex worker and it's this whole thing and he's like freaking out and they think, oh, we can't let you get married right now. Um, you're already so young. They're going to like spin this story about how you're pregnant or something. And she lies about her boyfriend her fiance being the son of two gay men and says that you know they're very conservative like art dealer or something and so it's like this whole comedy of errors of them all going to dinner and like meeting each other 
and they're trying to get the biological mom out there, but she, like, she can't show up, and so Nathan Lane has to dress in drag, um, as the mother, and put on this whole character, and it's, like, it's very campy and hilarious. I feel like I've told you, like, the whole plot. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have done that. Oh, that's okay. Um, sounds like an interesting movie, though. Uh, what was the name of it again? The Birdcage. Birdcage. All right. I'll put that on my list. Um, and it's yeah. Robin Williams, Disney MVP. Love Robin Williams. Oh, I can't wait till we get to Aladdin. Um, great. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about when it comes to uh, Lion... Or not, not Lion King. Uh, Jungle Book. Jumping ahead. Um... Jumping way ahead. Yeah, honestly, I, unfortunately, I think maybe my week caught up to me a little bit, but I did fall asleep and have to rewatch the Fair. movie. Same. Um, um, I think I almost did. I just, I love it too much that I kept myself awake. <laughs> but there is, really there are slow parts. I this movie for you, Ben. It's totally but fine. Like, yeah, no, it's totally fine. I like, all have our things. Like this movie, I definitely, you know, like it better than most of the movies we've watched so far. Yeah. But it's not going to be super high on a lot of stuff it's going to be pretty high on like music mm -hmm. and one thing i i think i i come out this from a very nostalgic place as well right like i grew up with this movie um this was one of the vhs's that i think we had to replace because we used it too much um and this is like the between this and robin hood this is where i kind of got my tendency to rewatch movies like back to back to back um so this is very much your Disney. This is my Disney. Uh, this going okay. into like the uh, the next age of Disney. Uh, but this is where it started, right? These are the videotapes that we had at home. And these are the ones that kind of got played all the time. So uh, I come at it from that kind of perspective as well. That I have like this maybe rose-colored glasses for some things. But because I love it so much that it kind of goes up in my mind. Uh, I totally agree. Yeah. Like, I was that way with Cinderella and mm -hmm. Sleeping Beauty. Is like, it was a huge nostalgia factor for me as well. Even yeah. if those are arguably just amazing movies. They're great movies. But I, I, yeah. I don't hate this movie. No. I'm not saying I hate it at all. No, of course I, not. I hate it either. I think it's good. It's just narratively, I think it falls short a little bit. Yeah, and I can see where it does too. Uh, I'm not coming at this like being like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever, but. Uh, yeah, I get, I, it's not, I don't think, maybe, you know, if you can top the movies, but with that, um, if you didn't know on this show, we do rank the movies, the villains, the main characters, and the music of the Disney shows or movies we watch. Um, I think this week we will start with the main characters. Um, so right now in number one, we have Cinderella, two is Lady, three is Mary Poppins, four is Mr. Toad, five is Alice. Six is Taryn, seven is Bambi, eight is Snow White, nine is Wendy, ten, the Dalmatian Fam Jam, eleven is Arthur, twelve is Aurora, thirteen Dumbo, fourteen Pinocchio, and fifteen Ichabob Crane. I forgot that we put Arthur so far down. Um, he wasn't, he was very passive. Yeah, he was. And I think that Mowgli falls in the same trap. I think that I like Mowgli as a character. I think that he does have character growth through this. Uh, he does have some agency, but I think that he falls into that same kind of almost passiveness uh, that we we yeah. get more. He wants other than wanting to go back. So Home. his journey doesn't start with him wanting something. His journey starts with 
someone else wanting something mm-hmm. and then all he wants is to go back to status quo which isn't really something interesting for a main character to do no there's a blurry character arc i think yeah. that we learn more about his friends than we do about him like we learn more about baloo and bagheera's character rather than Mowgli himself he's also yeah. one of those main characters where stuff happens to him versus he forces the stuff yeah. to happen exactly he doesn't go out to do anything um he doesn't move the plot the plot happens so i do want him somewhere around arthur i definitely want him under the dalmatians because they yeah under wendy they do i I was gonna say right under wendy i think that dalmatians the same kind of deal right like things happen to them uh and it forces them to take action rather than them having their agency from the beginning but doesn't take action he's just dragged from scene to scene yeah i like the dalmatians more than Mowgli too yeah i i'd be okay with putting them underneath as well but i think that above arthur makes sense uh and it would go below wendy so for me it was just above or below the dalmatians yeah below (laughs) below he's definitely not in the top 10 no he is definitely uh Awesome. So the next thing that we will talk about is the villain. So in this, the villain is Shere Khan. Um, I in... could not spell it right. This yeah. This was an assault on my dyslexia. So for the villains, number one, we have the Horn King from the Black Cauldron. Number two is Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty. Three is the Coachman, Honest John, Gideon, and Stromboli from Pinocchio. Four is the Red Queen from Alice in Wonderland. Five is Hook from Peter Pan. Six, Crow Deville from 101 Dalmatians. Seven is Lady Tremaine and the Evil Stepsisters from Cinderella. Uh, eight is Evil Stepmother from Snow White. Nine is Madame Mim from Sword in the Stone. Ten is the Headless Horseman, the Weasels, and the Bartender from Ichabom Crane and Mr. Toad. Eleven is the Crappy Hunters from Bambi. Twelve, Aunt Sarah from Lady and the Tramp. And thirteen is the Ringmaster and the Elephant Snoots from Dumbo. So I think Shere Khan is an interesting one to talk about before we go into the ranking, in that... We kind of mentioned it before that most of what Shere Khan is, is that terrifying overtone for the first half of the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. When we meet him, yes, he is, he is as terrifying as his overtone is, but it's more of this sense of fear that everyone has, no matter what animal you are. Um, oh, yeah. So I much so that it drives him away, right? Yeah, I felt it was really similar to the buildup of Maleficent if they kept her out a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But basically, she doesn't have to explain that she is, like, this super powerful sorceress. Like, everyone else reacts to her presence and is, like, very scared of her. And so you know she's powerful and she doesn't have to prove it. Yeah. Well, that like, brings up the question, though. Does the buildup warrant the reaction? Like, does the buildup live up to it? I think he I think does because so. they do give him a pretty brutal fight scene with Baloo. Like, I was kind of surprised. Wait, Obviously, there's no him. blood. But it's pretty. I don't know. I th- I thought it was pretty brutal fight. Like I did too. It's intense for early Disney. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so and I. Oh. Sorry. Go ahead. I want to put him around Captain Hook, like maybe above or below. I think. I'm just not sure. I think the Red Queen is a little bit worse, uh, of of a villain, and not worse. Like she's, she's a better bad guy. As in, um, yeah, worse. she also because... has that same thing, right? Like, the Red Queen does have like an error throughout Alice. She's not going above yeah. Cruella. Oh, I would put it above Cruella for sure. Really, 
Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm with uh, Sam. I would actually almost put it up. I just, I think that he's a better villain than the coachman in them, but I get why we would want to put it below Red Queen. Um, okay, based on voice, I put him near number one. But he's oh, not sure. above Cruella, no? Oh, I think so. I think She's that more iconic. Maybe more iconic. Well, it depends when you grew up as well. I think that Shere Khan is more iconic to me than uh, Cruella de Vil. Well, but that's you, just because of my on media. A level, but like, on like a global... Barely above Cruella, so like under Hook from Peter Pan. Um, yeah, I think he needs to be somewhere around there because Hook also gets quite a bit of build up. Um, mm-hmm. I think Hook Cruella is Hook. a little too comedic of a villain to be above him, though. I know it makes yeah, it fun, that... but wait, because he the whole point of like Peter Pan's story is like being a child again. And all the pirates, in their own way, do have, like, childish tendencies, which I thought was really interesting mm-hmm. for the story. So I like that they subvert the trope of, like, oh, my God, he's so scary. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then they subvert expectation. I don't view him as, like, a letdown, more of a, like, oh, <laughs> he's... Oh, you yeah, know, I like yeah. the subversion of expectations that Sam brought up, too, because Hook is, like, you expect the villain to be, like, very much like an adult because Peter Pan's a child. Yeah. So I would put Hook above Shere Khan. Yeah, okay. I would say uh, that as well, but it's also like he's a disabled uh, veteran with PTSD. Of yeah. Course. <laughs> uh, and, you know, if he was just a disabled veteran with PTSD, he would not be the villain. But no. he does try to kill children. So. It's true. Um. I'd be okay with putting it below Hook, but I definitely think that Shere Khan is above Krala. Really? As long as they're close together, I don't yeah. know if I might much. But yeah, I agree with Ryan. She does have like a much better presence on screen. Yeah, I guess we don't get a lot of Shere Khan, which is part of the problem. Um, and she's very much in the movie. Yeah. yeah. But Maybe I guess just like Crow Deville, like Shere Khan is the reason why this story has to take place, right? Like, unlike people like Hook or the Red Queen, who are there as a side, like the whole reason that this movie happens is because of Shere Khan. Just like it happens because of Crow Deville, right? They create the well, problem. We would still have to go through like the trials and tribulations of trying to find where he belongs without Shere Khan. I don't think so, because he would be able to stay with his wolf pack his entire life, right? The whole reason this happens is because the wolf pack is afraid of Shere Khan. So much to the fact that they will get rid of one of them and go against their own laws of protection for the wolf pack, right? Well, so I think... no, maybe it's like he just doesn't belong because he's not really a wolf, so they still could have let him go. Yeah, that's but that's not point. that's not how the movie is, though, right? So that's the yeah. problem there. Like, we can say that kind of thing, but in the movie, it really yeah. is, like, that meeting is, Shere Khan's coming back, he hates man, we can't fight him, he has to leave. But, mm. yeah, um, so I guess this will be probably the first time we actually do, like, a vote vote. Um, I think that might make the most sense. So, I think, well, it's... Do we think that it is above Lady Tremaine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, out of us, do you think that he is above Crow Deville? I think so. I don't. I actually, I've changed my mind. I disagree. He should be under Cruella. Okay, and that's then that's where he will go. Still top ten. 
Khan? I think that's how you spell it. I, I don't think that's actually... Two words. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think there's an extra E. Yeah, it's after Yes, there is. There, I put it. Thank you. Um, uh, jungle book. Awesome. Um, all right, the next thing that we have to do is rank the music. Right now we have Cinderella is number one, Pinocchio is number two, three is Snow White, four is Mary Poppins, five is Lady and the Tramp, six Alice in Wonderland, seven Sleeping Beauty, eight 101 Dalmatians, nine Adventures in Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad, ten Sword in the Stone, eleven Dumbo, twelve Peter Pan, thirteen Bambi. Where do you guys want to put this music? Let's start with uh, you, Ryan. Where would you put Jungle Book? I'm biased, so take that into account. Um, below Sleeping Beauty, but I can understand why you would put it higher. But that's just me personally, and I'm willing to concede because I objectively understand why someone would put it higher than Sleeping Beauty. But below Mary Poppins. So somewhere between five, six, seven. Ooh, see, I would put it ab above Pinocchio, below Cinderella. I love this music more than Cinderella, but I think that Cinderella has more of that iconicness to it, other than maybe the bare necessities. Um, my reasoning, I think, especially above Mary Poppins, that a lot of Mary Poppins' music we didn't like. Uh, when it came down to it, there was a couple songs that were very iconic that we liked, and that's why yeah. it went high. But Mary Poppins, in all, I remember us saying that we didn't like the music, uh, yeah. for the most part. Pinocchio has a couple good songs, but even its songs aren't amazing compared to this multi-genre uh, kind of thing that we get from the Jungle Book. Uh, so I would probably put it... I don't think I could put it number one as much as I want to. I think Cinderella just has like that real staying power that I don't think is going to get unseated until uh, we get into like the Little Mermaid. But... If you're doing iconicness, you yeah. can't do it over Pinocchio too. Because like, isn't One You Wish Upon a Star from Pinocchio also? Yeah, but even then, yeah. like, I think that the bare necessity is kind of beats out that. I don't no. know because that's that along with a dream is a wish your heart makes are like the two unofficial Disney anthems. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I guess the other question would be is that does this have more good, like actually well done music, very or like iconic music, or anything like that, more so than that? Like it has one song, but this has multiple that are constantly used in other places. I know because I think I think even though the music in this movie is consistently good, I think the songs in those two movies, like the iconic ones, are so well written that they kind of overtake like this. It's like how found in the opera there even though a lot of it is good and versus Les Mis. Les Mis is like excellent. Every song is excellent. Phantom of the Opera is known for like maybe one, two songs, but those songs are so iconic that they kind of overtake Les Mis in terms of popularity and that's why it's consistently ranked higher. I think it's the same thing with Cinderella and Pinocchio versus you know, the Jungle Book kind of thing. Yeah, that's fair. How about you, Sam? Where, If you were to put this somewhere, where would you put it? So I'm actually going in between the two of you guys. I vote for it to go under Mary Poppins actually. So I'm going based purely on numbers and with Lady and the Tramp, I just liked the one song, uh, Bella Notte. So, but it was very good. And I like 
I didn't dislike the other songs, but there wasn't that many of them that were that that memorable. Uh-huh. Mary Poppins, I think, like Step in Time, Super Califragilist, and Let's Go Fly a Kite. Especially Let's Go Fly a Kite is probably one of my favorite songs from Disney. And that puts it above uh, Jungle Book for me because, again, my favorite is just the uh, Bare Necessities. I, I don't really like um, uh, Wanna Be Like You. It's very catchy and it's not a bad song. But I just don't like it as much as the songs from Mary Poppins. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. And uh, I agree with that point. And I, okay, then I'm very happy to put it just underneath Mary Poppins above Lady and the Tramp. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with that too. Also, music is just a really subjective thing. Yeah. So I think that's why we always get hung up on the little the things music so much. Yeah. Because like everyone has like a different interpretation, except oh, yeah. for Bambi. No oh, one likes Bambi. Bambi sucked. <laughs> I think the three of us, even though all three of us like musical theater, other than musical theater, our tastes in music are different. Probably. Oh, yeah. Oh. Like here's Ben, who did opera, then me, who is like a big K pop fan, you know, and then Sam, who likes oldies. To be fair, very though, different. I feel like hey, Ryan, me and you, I, I think that okay. we have very similar tastes as well. Like, I love K pop. Uh, I always yeah. loved K pop, C pop, and J pop growing up. Um, but I'm also like the kind of person who likes opera and classic music and rap. Like I really love fast rap, especially and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I would just like to defend myself for a second. I don't like just oldies music. I like very specific oldies music. You okay. have to be a basic of a, a very leftist person. So I like Johnny Cash and I like Dolly Parton and Cass and I really love a lot of the love songs from, from back then, uh, especially. So right now, one of the songs that I'm listening to on repeat because I really love it is called Wichita Line Man from Glenn Campbell because it's got this line that says, I um, want you more than I need you and I need you for all time. Oh, that's a good line. That's a good line. Isn't that good? a good line? And it's so beautiful, but, you know, I also love, like, Credence Clearwater Revival. Fortunate song is awesome, but I'm a huge uh r&b fan i love rap and i you know i almost exclusively listen to women for some reason this past week i've been some men have creeped in like um i think it's tiktok it's been has been influencing some of my music (laughs) choices lately because dirty work uh from steely dan has been popping up and that's one of my favorite songs um i love to sing it in my head when i hate my job Fair enough. <laughs> okay, maybe um, I was wrong. Maybe there's more crossover, but all outwardly, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like when it comes yeah. to Disney music, we have different tastes for sure, yes. except for the very say, yeah. But one music, uh, one one song that I think all music lovers will appreciate right now that I absolutely love is from Father John Mystery, uh, Father John Misty, and it's called Chateau Lobby Number no. Four. It's Ooh, it's so good. I highly recommend that you guys listen to it. Yeah, I may have to keep listening. I don't think I've ever heard of that artist or that song before, so... Father John Misty is kind of like... I'm a big folk music fan, actually. I really like it. And I love rock, especially um, learning about the history of rock in the U.S. It's very fascinating because it is um, just... It's a very American... uh, genre especially country and 
well, rock comes from country and country and bluegrass and everything. But the real basis of rock, it comes from black and indigenous artists. And there's this, I think it's called Rampage, but it's this uh, bio biography. No, not biography. It's a documentary of early rock music and how indigenous people influenced it. And they get into Afro-Indigenous people, which I feel like they get overlooked a lot in history because there were two options to escape slavery. You could go up north to Canada uh, or you could run to the nearest tribe and they would take you in if, you know, they wanted to hmm. uh, as one of their own. And you would be a full member of the tribe in their eyes. And then when you get to like blood quantum and everything, you're not technically a full member. Yeah. But it's very fascinating and so father john misty is like folk rock and there's like some kind of poppy elements so it's really great sound and i want to see them live now cool awesome and let's get into the last movie or last review or sorry ranking and that ranking. is the movie uh so number one we have cinderella two is lady and the tramp three is 101 dalmatians four is pinocchio five snow white six alice waterland Seven, Sleeping Beauty. Eight, The Black Cauldron. Nine, Sword in the Stone. Ten, Mary Poppins. Eleven, Ventured, Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad. Twelve, Dumbo. Thirteen, Peter Pan. And fourteen, Bambi. The Jungle Book. Um, I think I know where I would put it. I think I would put it right underneath 101 Dalmatians. Oh, I thought you were going to put it as number one. No, I, I, I think that... Uh, as a story, Cinderella, Lady and the Tramp, and Hundred Month Dimensions are actually a stronger story. As much as Cinderella's I love the strongest stuff. story, yeah. Yes. So I think that, but I think that this is a much stronger story than Pinocchio is. Yeah, I do have to say, I don't think Pinocchio should be where it is. No, and, and I think that it screws up our rankings because yeah. of where it is. <laughs> I don't fucking like. Can we move it, please? Because I know why it's there. Okay, I mean, we can move it. And now that I'm a podcast host, um, I agree to move it down because it, with my personal ranking, and if you guys agree, I would put it above. below Mary Poppins. Yeah, above. I was going to say above Adventure. Yeah, I put it at number 11. Yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right. Because that's the thing that has always bothered me with the rankings is that we left Pinocchio where it was because I don't think it deserved. No, I don't think it deserved where it was. All right. So with this new okay, one, I would put it over. below Snow White and above Alice in Wonderland. Okay. As an, an, a side note, with Alice in Wonderland, I saw an analysis that said the Jungle Book is kind of like Alice in Wonderland because Mowgli enters this world and then he exits it at the end yeah. after mm -hmm. learning all these things. So which one do you? So the question is, if we're putting it there, which one do you think did it better, Alice in Wonderland or the Jungle Book? Jungle Book. If we're using them two as like comparisons, I'm actually like I we talked about this on the Alice in Wonderland uh, movie, but I'm actually not crazy about it. Um, I think it's a good movie, but I I wasn't like super hot on it. I am the reason it's so high up. I think I think it would been like maybe two slots lower on the list. Um, however, it's just. A, it's a nostalgia thing for me as well. Like, I grew up reading the books, and I really love it. And I gave, like, a random book recommendation on that episode, too, of uh, one of the modern adaptations of the work. Because mm -hmm. I really like stories that get adapted over and over and over and put in these, like, weird different settings. I love science fiction reimaginings of things. And 
I, I recommended The Looking Glass Wars, which is a fantasy science fiction reimagining of Alice in Wonderland. Can't recommend it enough. Um, so I, I, I think it's a better telling of the story from my perspective than Jungle Book. So it comes down to you, Ryan. Uh, I would put it in a different spot in the movie thing, just to be clear. Okay, but Ryan, where would you put it? Uh, I, I, well, I'm really attached to Sleeping Beauty, but I mean, I understand that objectively, because there's more substance in the Jungle Book to digest than Sleeping Beauty that you would put it above there. I don't know whether or not to put it above or below Alice in Wonderland. Uh, I'd put it above. So underneath Snow White? Underneath Snow White, yeah. Sam, ideally, where would you want to put it? I wanted it a little lower um, because I did think Sleeping Beauty was the better movie overall because I was thinking in terms of the animation as well. I think the way it was colorized, look, it looked like a little dull. Um, the Jungle Book looked a little dull in comparison, just color-wise. And I have been to the jungle. It is, it, it's full of beautiful colors, and then... It, the Jungle Book kind of got reduced to like these dark kind of army greens and browns when especially in India the wilderness in India is full of these beautiful colors so I think just from an art standpoint I would put it lower and the Black Cauldron as bright and beautiful as it is its backgrounds aren't as nicely drawn as backgrounds for um the Jungle Book, I really loved a lot of the, there was this one very still shot of the jungle at night before they meet the snake Ka for the first time. And it was just the moon over the water. And I was really upset that they didn't do that for the whole movie because I thought it was such a gorgeous shot. And I was like, I want the environment to look like that the whole movie. It's just this lush, beautiful jungle, but it just looks kind of bare for a lot of the movie. It's the bare necessities. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I'm just saying, I also was like, you know, minute thing. I was like, probably not even going to bring up. But now that I talk about it, I didn't like that they didn't use um, the plants that would show up in the Indian wilderness. They actually used like prickly pears and stuff, which are American. Yeah. I guess so, to probably, uh, yeah, to yeah, and they relate. The wrong kind of trees um, and grasslands. Like, there's a lot of really interesting, very different environments in India. It's a pretty large country, and it goes through all these different, like, there's huge mountains, there's beautiful lush grasslands. So, you know, they could have done something with this movie that I don't think they did, that I feel they, like they did in Sleeping Beauty, and I feel like they did in Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, let's put it below Sleeping Beauty. Okay. Oh, I'm not convincing. <laughs> I didn't know my argument would be that convincing. <laughs> no, no, I wanted to do it, but I wanted to also put it higher because I know Ben really likes this. Oh, that's fine. Oh, yeah, I, I really like the movie. I'm just saying uh, there were certain parts of it that I think, you know, I wanted more from it. Yeah, and that's fair. Like, are you fine with it being at number seven? Oh, like it's that? fine by me. It's This is a voting system. Uh, we use democracy. Um, and that, I think that's fine. I, 
It's in I, the top half. Yeah, I, I think... Know, if it's what, one of your favorites, you should defend it. Well, I think the big part for me is that I didn't enjoy Alice in Wonderland or Sleeping Beauty as much as this. Even Snow White, I didn't really. Uh, I just know that, like, 101 Dalmatians, Lady and Tramp, and Cinderella, I just... I really enjoyed this time around. Uh, especially because I hadn't really seen Cinderella. I don't know if I saw Lady and Tramp all the way through before. Uh, so going back through those ones, I think that it really elevated my opinion of those. But, like, Snow White, I didn't enjoy as much as Jungle Book. Um, but I get where you're coming from, from, like, an animation and stuff standpoint as well, that the Jungle Book was muted. It was a very muted uh, tones, uh, color tones, and that kind of thing. Something that I think like they... India. Yeah, they rectified how jungles should look in Tarzan. Uh, they've they made it very vibrant and bright, and all the... Like, every color in it is, like, it pops, right? Whereas this one didn't. This one really took that muted tone, and maybe that was, like, left over from when the everything was supposed to be a lot darker. Uh, they kept that dark setting, but made it more lively. I think the most lively part of this entire movie is when they go to see King Louis. Because his... So the ruins are very... They right? didn't want to bring up Tarzan again. Yeah, <laughs> but it's true. It Tarzan but, really showed us how a jungle should look in a movie. Yeah, and here's the thing is, like, you didn't have to have a ton of flowers and stuff. Because I feel like the way I described how I wanted the jungle to look, it made it sound like I wanted more than green. And I haven't been to the jungle in India, but, you know, if they're if they did their research like they have done in the past for projects, like they, they sent people to Hawaii uh, to do Lilo and Stitch. They, uh, they, I don't know if th what research they did for, um, for Encanto, but they did the same thing for, uh, the only thing I have to think with those is their later movies too, right? Just like how but, like the Lion uh, King, they brought in things, back, right? Oh, like they do have a history of wanting to bring stuff to them to draw. Like they brought in actual animals for Dumbo That's and, true. uh, what was the uh, movie we watched where they brought in, they brought in dogs for Lady and the Tramp. Um, and they sent people to one of the plays. I can't remember yeah. what we talked about with that one. That might have been... It was recent that they sent him off, sent people off to, like, the, the ballet. Oh, Fantasia. They sent yeah. people to, like, ballet and stuff. So they have, like, this history of either going out to see something or bringing something to them. And I don't get why they didn't at least do that with the plants. They could have yeah. had it. Oh, you cut out there, Ryan. Um, oh, they couldn't just get, like, a botany textbook or something like that? Exactly. And I'm not asking, and just bringing back the Tarzan thing, I'm not asking for, you know, flowers everywhere and having bright, beautiful colors. With Tarzan, you see all these different amazing shades of green, and you see, like, the light coming through the canopy. There's more detail. It, yeah. It is a lot of brown and green, but it doesn't get muddy, and it doesn't feel plain like it does in this movie the most color in this movie is Mowgli's like tunic short thing his little diaper his yeah. little diaper yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think you can call it a loincloth no it was like a diaper straight up yeah. awesome yeah I don't mind putting it there so uh, it will now be underneath Sleeping Beauty and I think we can that is it for our rankings today so next time on the uh, opening the vault we will be doing the Aristocats um, I'm excited. I actually, I don't remember watching this as a kid. I remember seeing the scene where they're playing the music. And mm -hmm. then I remember 
that's about it. I think that's all I remember about that entire movie. I remember yeah. a lot, and I have a I, lot to say. Yeah, I watched this a lot as a kid, um, and then I did revisit it a couple times, and I do have a lot to say as well. Um, yeah. But I'm going to give you most of the floor, Ryan, okay. for that. I'm very excited. Um, and I believe, Ryan, you'll be doing our plot for us next time, which is okay. exciting. Uh, and yeah, so please, everyone, tune into that. But before we wrap up, we do want to make sure we do our ending stuff, starting with our social media. Uh, we do have uh, Twitter. A Sorry, go ahead. Uh, don't we have to do the questions? Uh, yeah, we'll do those after that, then. We'll, oh, okay. we'll, we'll plug these we things, ready. and then we'll do the question at the end so that people have it fresh in their minds. Um, so we have a social media and actually this might be a good place to put, uh, our question as well. So people can answer us. Uh, so we have an Instagram, a Twitter, we do have a TikTok. Uh, they will start getting used more. I know I've said that for a while, but I have, uh, started creating some things for us to do. Uh, so please keep out a lookout for that and make sure to follow us to keep up to date with what we're doing. Um, we also all work on personal projects, uh, so, Sam, do you want to tell us what's happening with the Digital Sue? Sure. Uh, well, I have the Digital Sue podcast and website. The podcast, I am on my hiatus between seasons. I'm getting my last episodes out, uh, just, you know, posting them. My last one to really finish off is, by the time this episode comes out, is going to be um, this very interesting court case surrounding champagne and why you can or can't call a sparkling wine a champagne. Uh, I have been talking about that for the past couple episodes, but I have been going through some shit. <laughs> uh, Understandable. Putting together my lineup for the next season, which will be coming out in the coming months. I do technically have a rough lineup, but I would love if a listener wrote in with a question of or a suggestion for an episode. If you guys have an idea, I thought that would be really cool. If you wanted me to cover something, let me know. Um, I will be posting more recipes to my website soon. I've been testing stuff for my cookbook, but I thought it would be fun to take you guys along for the ride. Oh, I have an and idea, but I'll tell you after. <laughs> and I will be making, uh, videos of me working on the cookbook recipes. Awesome. Um, that's about it. Great. I'm well... really excited for my next season. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to have those uh, links in the description. Everyone do give it a chance. Uh, it is a great podcast. I really enjoyed listening to it. Um, very informative. Very fun. Um, and yeah, Ryan, uh, what are you working on right now? So I just started the script for my new podcast that will be coming up officially on Valentine's Day. Oh, nice. And the episode will be about first love. Awesome. Well, we make sure to have those in the description uh, once it starts coming out. Uh, but if you have your channel already set up, we can get that in the description so people can start uh, following to make sure that they know when the first episode launches. Oh, I need to set it up, though. Okay. Do you so have a name for it yet, Ryan? Yeah. The Human Intimacy Podcast. Nice. Okay. Well, talk to me after the recording. I can help you set up your podcast. Okay. Awesome. Um. For me, I am actually taking a little break from my other stuff. I have a couple scripts written for my other podcasts. Uh, I am doing the uh, Cooperators Reviewers Couches comeback, and we started with the first episode of The Book Above a Fet. Uh, so I'm editing that right now, and it should be out this weekend. I am 
taking a little break because I'm going on vacation and doing like a kind of a mental reset. Uh, but I will be back in February with streaming and with uh, some Pursuit of Platinums talking about ga my gaming. So very excited, uh, ready for a ramp up, but I just, I need a little mental break uh, after the craziness of work and everything else. So yeah, so I am heading off to Mexico for a week and I will be back and be rejuvenated and ready to make more content for everybody. Uh, and yeah, I'll have those uh, links as well in the description. Um, other than that, we have the question of the day. Uh, Sam, do you want to give that? Yeah, so this is for our next episode that we're going to answer it. It's what would you leave your pet when you die? Because we're doing the Aristocats next. The whole plot surrounds a very beautiful old widow leaving her estate to her cats. Hilarious. Hilarious concept. Uh, I'm excited to watch it and see if anything jogs my memory to see if I actually watched it as a kid or if I just watched YouTube videos of that one scene. Um, great. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Sam and Ryan, for joining me today. And I look forward for the next episode of Aristocats. Ah, happy birthday, Ben! Happy birthday!